You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. After a week of yelling and screaming about everything we saw from Aaron Rodgers, they came out last night and they got everything right. They blew out the Lions. But did we really learn anything in the process? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back, so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Sarah, I want to be all in. I want this exciting world where the Packers are great, and it creates this like tension and drama between what to do with Aaron Rodgers, and they go on to a Super Bowl. Like There's so many great ways to make this even more complicated, and I love chaos unless it's around my Raiders. So I'm all in with mm-hmm. all of that. But I watched last night. And by the end of the game, I thought, all right, what did we see? We saw a Packers team that in the first half struggled to get much going. And in the second half, we saw a Packers team that dominated a Lions team neither of us are high on. And a Lions team that sort of stepped on their own you-know-what in the process. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I really saw any dominance out of it. I just saw a win. Let me just say that it is a highly underused phrase that stepped on their own you-know-what. And I don't use it enough. And I appreciate (laughs) you bringing it back into my life. And we're not talking about feet here, folks. Uh, Yeah, I... Expected them to win, which they did. I expected the offense to look good, which eventually it did. The defense is a massive question mark, especially around that defensive line. When they are taking on a team that is significantly better than the Lions and doesn't step on their own you-know-what's like the Lions, jury's still out for me. And and that's that's what needs to be answered uh, because there are big expectations for this team every year. And I understand the frustration that Aaron Rodgers and others have when you've been consistently good. And as soon as you have a hiccup or a bad game, people lose their minds, but you didn't do that much to make me feel secure in the Packers as a contender. You just reminded me that you're going to be beating up on the lines. And so is probably most of the division. Well, and and at some point we have to learn from ourselves. And I mean, ourselves as in so many people that talk about sports all day, whether it's in front of a microphone or in a bar, we we spent week one overreacting to so much, and we'll get into this later in the show, obviously, with some of these overreactions, but spent all of week one saying things like Jameis Winston was fixed and the Saints would have been better last year if they'd had him Not at quarterback. I said the fly. Uh, uh, neither did I, but still, there were people. <laughs> that, there were, but then week two, we're like, oh, same old Jameis. Like, right. I'm trying to avoid that. I'm desperately trying to avoid that this season, which means looking at things as a collective whole. So to me, it's not even just about what we saw last night. It's about eight quarters. We, we have two games now to look at and say, does everything seem normal and does everything seem right? And for Aaron Rodgers, at times last night, it looked easy and effortless. And watching the Mannings talk about his beautiful uh, deep ball placement next to the sideline was a delight but there were also times that you kept watching it and thinking man they're gonna get him killed back there if that offensive line doesn't play better so I think it's really in the moment and oblivious to the entirety of what we've seen to not acknowledge that it has been difficult for the Packers to get rolling it's Spain and Fitz Harris Spain Jason Fitz Gabe Neitzel was on ESPN Milwaukee talking about some of the stuff that he saw uh, and he was on uh, Canty and Golick Jr. Sorry, he's from ESPN Milwaukee. He was on Canty and Golick Jr. And I think this points to some of what you just mentioned, right? That just because you did some stuff well doesn't erase the other questions. Here's what Gabe Neitzel said. 
it's that defense. Um, I, I think they have enough defensive pieces where they can be a decent enough defense, but through the first six quarters and, and even I think that the second half of last night was a little bit of a mirage just because, you know, I think they were fortunate when the Lions decided to, to throw it on fourth and one instead of run it because they had so much success running the football. And then, then you know, the rain started falling at Lambeau Field and the ball got a little slick and Jared Goff couldn't handle it, so they ended up not giving up any points in that second half. This, this defense under Joe Barry – is making me very nervous because they are allowing some long drives, and that means that Aaron Rodgers and offense aren't getting on the field as much as they're accustomed to. I, it all makes a ton of sense, and, and realistically, we've seen this, I think, repeatedly across the NFL where teams seem to get one side of the ball right and the other side of the ball is super questionable, and we find ourselves every year coming in and saying, can they write the one glaring weakness that they have? Now, we've said for years that the uh, you know Rodgers needs more playmakers, et cetera, but that offense has always been able to sort of accomplish what it needs to accomplish. The question is, on the defensive side of the ball. And this was a game that really got out of hand last night when Goff fumbled the, the snap and uh, turned the ball over, and that's all of a sudden it went from a close game to a not-so-close game. So, I, I, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the Packers. I'm just trying to have full context of saying there is a portion of this that the Lions were going to lie in and the Packers right. were going to pack her, and that's a little of what we saw. Well, and we're going to get into a little later in the show some of the stuff Rodgers said afterward because it will be interesting also to see how his demeanor either changes or adjusts throughout the season. He's spending a lot of time reacting to the reactions to him, and that's not new for him. We know that Aaron Rodgers is very online. We also know that Aaron Rodgers tries to pretend like he's apathetic to the opinions of others, but is deeply interested in what people think of him and the team. So we'll get into some of that, but I do think him immediately saying, you know, I get the trolls off my back for a week, uh, does let you know that this is a more tenuous situation maybe than previous years with the with the Packers when it was really just, all right, well, we're for sure going to clean up in the NFC North, and then how far can we make it after that? They have much bigger expectations. It's not important or meaningful to them anymore just to win the division. That's expected. It's how can you make it back to the Super Bowl and win again while you still have this very small window. Um, and By the way, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, there was a, a pretty – important development today when he went on the Pat McAfee show for his regular hit. Apparently that <laughs> hair, which has gotten a lot of attention over the first weeks or so, especially last week when he looked pretty terrible and people were, you know, putting him in police lineups and, and stuff like that. Apparently he's growing out the hair for Halloween, which you and I can both appreciate that kind of dedication to a holiday that we love. But now I am very curious about what the costume is. And I feel like maybe our listeners need to chime in and help us brainstorm like what character would that hair be required for and also does he does he know you could buy a wig i mean it, it was I, I believe he said that he's been growing the hair out for almost a year for this and, and let me tell you as somebody that once you know had long hair it takes it looks awkward and it takes a long time to grow out like you reach the spot where then you feel like it's not growing anymore then it's growing then all of a sudden it's weird and wavy like you go through all of these strange stages when you're a guy growing out your hair I just am trying to figure out, to your point, why you just don't wig it. I mean, right. uh, you know, if you've ever seen bunch, the, the pictures, too. I, I, I mean, you would think that somebody would send him all the wigs he needs. And uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen Jordan and, and Luke, the other Rogers brothers, uh, they're notorious. That whole family's notorious for dressing up in costume with wigs. So I would think that, you know, he grew up around enough wigs that, you know, that, that would make a little sense. What costume do you need long hair for, too? Like, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little 
shook by that? Like, because that's not any of your normal killers. Uh, and, and do people dress up as something other than that? I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah, people dress up as a lot of things other than killers. Yeah, but they do. I not all of us why. have a bunch of mannequins in our closet that we place around the front yard to scare and terrify the youth of the neighborhood. Some of us have a little more fun with that. Uh, but we'll put it up I'm not gonna uh, lie. at Spain I... and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. You guys can help chime in. Let us know if you have any idea what his costume might be. I, I do feel a little bad, Sarah. I will admit I feel a little bad because I've got the mannequins inside the house in Connecticut at the oh. window. So oh. Michael Myers and Pennywise and Frankenstein and uh, Freddy Krueger, they're all looking out different windows on the front of my house, which is great until I realized that there's like a little four-year-old girl that her dad drives her around in a remote-controlled Barbie car all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> she's trying to figure out why there's a creepy clown in my house. So I do yeah. feel a little bad about that. Uh, we're, by the way, a little bonus time tonight. We're <laughs> No, 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 of course not. I close the curtains every once in a while. That's being neighborly. Uh, We're going to take you into Giants and Padres. That's 930 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You don't want to miss it. So that means you get bonus Spain and Fitz. But in the meantime, coming up, NBA training camp opens soon. One big name made it clear today he will not return to his current team no matter what. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. I had the chance to talk to Earth, Wind, and Fire for the NFL Draft as I talked to some of the guys from the band, and I asked them about this song. And Sarah, I said, you know, when you're in the studio and you're recording a song that becomes so iconic, do you know? Because I've rarely been a part in my musical career of, of having that sort of a like a smash, right? And, and it's, it's generational, right? So you look at it and say, did you know is what I asked them. And you know what they all told me? They hated the song. When they recorded, when they came in, they were like, this thing, the melody stinks. Nobody's going to like this. They hated everything about the song, but they only cut it because uh, basically the singer forced them to, or one of the guys forced them to, and uh, they were all sort of against it the whole time, and then it came out, and they all said, well, yeah. we were wrong about that. Just and they now it. owe the whoever forced them to put it out a lot of money. Like they should get, yeah, that person should no get doubt. a cut every time. Hey, speaking of that, you know that guy who puts out a crazy video every year? Did you watch it this year yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. Are you aware of this? So there's a guy who puts out an extremely involved, insane video every year about this song and this day. It's at Electro Lemon is the account. Go to at Electro Lemon. And the videos are always extremely creative and wild and wacky. And then at the end, the big reveal is like the song and the day. So go check. Oh, I I am now following, and I will go check that yeah, out. This as one's soon pretty wild as possible. Spain and Fitz. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get to some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We're getting a ton of tweets. Also, we'll get to some of those in just a little bit. But uh, the straight talk comes in the form of Ben Simmons. Now, uh, this is only going to get more interesting. Is tomorrow morning, nine thirty a.m. Eastern. Doc Rivers, Sixers head coach, will be on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. So I'm sure they're going to have plenty to talk to uh, with Coach as Ben Simmons is now made it clear to Philadelphia that no matter what, no matter what happens, he's not going to report. He has no interest in being around the team. He will never play for them again. Uh, Woj even tweeting out earlier that his camp is obviously aware of the financial repercussions that could come from fines levied, and they're prepared for all of that. So they are being absolutely his camp is being absolutely stern to the fact that they will never allow Ben Simmons to play for the 76ers again, which raises a huge question about what value he really has to anybody that's going to come in and try and make a trade. 
Yeah, and I disagree with a lot of people's takes on the best plan of action for both sides. This is a really confusing one because he wants out and they want him out too. The problem is that Daryl Morey wants more back for him than what a lot of teams are willing to give right now. And Daryl Morey doesn't care if things get weird. He doesn't care if things get awkward. He's not going to rush to get rid of him simply because Simmons puts up a fight and says, I'm not showing up. They don't really owe him any major money until November 15th because of the structure of his contract. So this can go on for a while. So Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, Sixers insider, was on with Canty and Gola Jr. earlier, and he says this needs to get done right away. Joel Embiid is in his prime. The 76ers don't want to rebuild. They want to win. And you look at the Brooklyn Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, all of those three teams are going to be locked and loaded and ready to go, so to speak. And the, the, long, as the longer the Sixers wait to trade Ben Simmons, they're going to fall further and further behind those other teams. Also, it's going to be a circus. Like, you know, everyone's going to, where's Ben? Where's Ben? And I don't think the 76ers want to deal with that. Okay, so I completely disagree. And I understand the thinking behind that, but here's the problem. He is at his probably lowest trade value right now. They know that the team wants to get rid of him. They openly and publicly for the first time in his tenure at the Sixers did not back him after that terrible finish in the playoffs where he passed up a wide-open dunk. He hadn't shot, I think, for the last five games a single time in the fourth quarter. Right now, what they need is for him to get back into camp, to seem like a good soldier, to get back to work, maybe even to play a couple games and look like a good player again because if they rush to get rid of him, they're going to get even less. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why this is ha- going as it's gone, because Daryl Morey wants to keep an eye on what's going on with Damian Lillard, maybe even Beal, uh, some big stars that can come in and be that piece that they need. That's not the offers they're getting right now. So he's shooting high with the trade offers. Everyone's saying, are you out of your mind? No. And he's saying, cool, if you don't want him, I'm willing to wait until a situation arises that benefits us. I'm not just going to throw away a guy that we gave up a lot of time and effort into, especially because... They're going to need to get somebody to put in that spot, and there aren't very many players fit that, that would technically be an upgrade, uh, even though we know that Ben Simmons has some serious flaws. Yeah, I think that's the part of it. You know, when you're talking about what you get in return, and I was uh, hanging out earlier with Joe Fortenball, who's from the Philly area when all of this started to break, and his suggestion as a, as a 76ers fan growing up was that they just do a spike trade and move him to, like, Minnesota and bury his whole career. I don't think you can do that, though, because this is a team that feels like it's on the precipice of trying to continue to contend for a title. Like, that's, that's the goal if you're in Philly. Like, this isn't a four-seed, five-seed Philly. This is a team that thinks that they can be the best team in the East, but in order to do that, they now have to be able to compete with what Brooklyn looks like they're going to be. And, and there aren't a lot of players that you can bring in that can give them that that sort of return. I'm not sure I see how they can get the return of investment they're going to need. In fact, Woj, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski was on ESP or was on Sports Center with David Lloyd earlier talking about what he thinks the Simmons uh, the Sixers can get for Simmons. They've asked for a lot and they've asked for a steep return. It is hard to trade a star player when you are a contender because you are trying to get back the pieces that allow you to continue to keep winning now. They did not, the offers that were in the marketplace just didn't meet the threshold of what Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers want in Philly. And so now there's a standoff. And uh, perhaps it takes the season to start, a team or two to start struggling and saying, we've got to go be more aggressive in our offer. But Philly just looked at the offers and said, let's see what we can get during the season. But Ben Simmons 
is not willing to report. He's not willing to go in. And right now, he's not willing to play another game for the Sixers. So this is a team in Philly that has championship aspirations. They were the one seed in the East last year, and certainly they are diminished without Ben Simmons on the court. Yeah, this, that's why this is so tricky. Obviously, he adds something. There were games where he was absolutely on fire, especially some of those games with him beat out where he took over. But for me, this experiment is over. It's not just over because in the end, Doc Rivers and Joel publicly, you know, were willing to criticize very obvious, you know, worthy of criticism things about him. But because they tried and and they they got to the peak, I think that they could get to with this particular combination. And now you got to try something else because you cannot, you cannot waste having Joel Embiid on your team and never even compete for a title. Well, and the hardest part about all of it is deciding at what point that whatever you're going to get is just like, hey, we're not playing in this category, we're playing in this category in return. Because as I've said mm-hmm. for months now, I feel like what every GM in the NBA watched the playoffs. And we can all talk about Ben Simmons and the other things he brings, but we also know that he's, you know, shooting a verse. Like he doesn't he's not going to take that shot. We all saw it, every fan base saw it, every GM saw it. Everyone has seen this journey and this struggle. So at some point, if you're the Sixers, you got to look in and say, okay, people in hell want ice water. I say that all the time, you know, and like they can go in and say they want a king's ransom in return, but they are going to have to ask themselves the question that so many NBA teams have had to ask in the past when players have said they want out. If we're only going to be able to get something in this range, what's the best of that range that we can get? And then you have to look at it and say, is that better than absolutely nothing at all? Because those are the real options. If you're Philly, if you're if Ben Simmons, your option is you know stay away, get fined, and you know force the team to do something. But if you're the team, you got to make the decision of are we would we rather just let Ben Simmons sit there and rot on the bench and do nothing, or get the best of whatever the mediocrity is we can get in return. Yeah, and it's especially complicated, Fitz, because he's got four years and almost $150 million left on his deal, right? It's not one year to play, and he's not the player that we've seen in Anthony Davis or uh, James Harden who has tried this, to pull this move before. That's what makes this so difficult. Um, in the end, these two disparate parts that both want the same thing but want to take different routes to get there are probably going to have to work together, and that seems exceedingly difficult, understanding the, the egregiousness of the claims from, from Clutch. They're not, it doesn't feel like very conciliatory on either side, but that's probably going to be what's required. By the way, disparate and conciliatory, <laughs> which is hard for Sorry. me to say, are reasons why that Sarah Spain is far smarter than I will ever be, but beautifully said, my friend. Thank I mean, you. that's uh, getting them to work together. I don't know how that happens. That's some straight talk. No contract, no compromise. We'll get the straight talk on some postseason basketball that's upon us next. Our next guest, not a fan of the single elimination format. You'll hear it here. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Allie Quigley from the Chicago's guy who faced a very young, a very exciting Dallas Wings team Thursday night in the first round of the WNBA playoffs. Single elimination. Now, Allie, listen, I know there are four Chicago players that have more playoff experience than the entire Wings team combined, but you can't get caught up in that, right? Because it's it's wild when it's a single elimination and you're playing a team with someone like Arike who can go off, right? Definitely. I mean, that's the last thing we're thinking about right now is you know, how old we are, how young they are. We just know that it's a huge game. It's single elimination, and we're just kind of focusing on ourselves right now. I mean, do you like the single elimination element of this? Uh, No, I don't think anybody likes that right now, (laughs) but it's just kind of the reality that we've been dealing with the last couple years, and 
Yeah, we're used to it by now, so we're just ready to play. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm okay with like some of the double buys and that stuff, but single elimination is heartless. It is just too much stress to put on one game after a whole season. Honestly, <laughs> uh, It's just really unfair. Uh, you guys have been uh, up and down this season, and I think a lot of that had to do with injury, particularly losing Candace for that big stretch. But she's back. You guys look super strong. Can you talk about how different it's been this year to have a legend? I mean, Candace Parker has her own day in Chicago now, but what's it been like to have her into the fold of a team that has a lot of, of, of people that were back this year and, and trying to incorporate her into the team? Yeah, I mean, like you said, she has a day. Like, she is famous, <laughs> famous. So it's definitely been interesting having her on our team, but it's been awesome, you know, basketball-wise and, you know, the big personal personality she has and just how much – um, knowledge she has of the game and how much she can affect the game in a positive way. So it's been um, a learning experience at first, us all learning each other, but I think that it's going to come together, you know, when it matters the most on Thursday. I mean, I don't even know what you say to a teammate that has a day. Like, there's nothing you can ever top on just having a day. I'm just saying. So I'll let the you know challenge for you guys when is I, the, you know, get uh, yeah, my day. I know that's fair. Yeah. I, I deal with it. Sarah's far more popular than I'll ever be, so I deal with it all the time. Uh, but the other complication for the season this year is you guys had a big gap for the Olympics. So how hard has it been to just find and keep any sort of a rhythm through the course of this season? Yeah, it's been really tough. Like especially Sarah said, when we've had our injuries too, and just not having our full team for the entire year. But I feel like the last, I don't know, month or so, we've been pretty much steady having our team and, you know, gaining that rhythm. So, and I mean, I think if anything, the single elimination could be kind of working to our advantage this year when we've had such a rough up and down year. Yeah. Allie Quigley is with us here from the Chicago Sky on Spain and Fitz. Uh, your wife, your teammate, Courtney Vandersloot, getting it done again. Unbelievable. She's got the most minutes, games, seasons in franchise history. She's got all sorts of records. She's broken those records. She's get those records again. First player in history to average double-digit assists last season. And for the, I don't know, I think it's the sixth straight time, maybe fifth straight, but sixth yeah. overall, she's leading the whole league in assists. I love the fact that you guys have this dynamic. You're the, the spot shooter who can hit from anywhere. She's going to serve it up. Like, I ask this every time, but I'm truly fascinated by that relationship. This year, was it any different for you? Did you find it just as fun or maybe challenging to have a bad game or an off night when you have to then go home with your teammate and try not to think about it or talk about it? <laughs> Honestly, at this point, we're just we're so used to this dynamic. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely been just like any other year. And speaking to what she's done, I think our coach just told us like the other day that she was, it was for the sixth year in a row that she's done that. And I think we're just so used to it, but we forget how amazing that is to lead like in any category for that many years in a row. So it's unbelievable what she's done and she makes everyone, everyone's game just so much easier, especially mine. How how difficult is that though? Like, I, I just think from a standpoint, like I saw it all the time in the music business where you'd have a couple and they're both in a, in the music business together and then one might start to have a really good period and the other's not, and it gets really contentious. Like, how do you balance just the competitiveness of being who you are, a great athlete, when you're in a relationship and a marriage with somebody that is also a great athlete? I think we just try to, you know, let things go fast. If there's, you know, some kind of argument about basketball, we kind of leave it on the basketball court and just trying to ha try to have, like, a separate life when we go home, whether it's, you know, hanging out with our friends and family or, you know, going to the beach with our dogs, just trying to keep it, you know, enjoy life and not take basketball home with us so it's definitely difficult it's a interesting and uh, interesting dynamic but we've you know we've mastered it <laughs> 
Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Allie Quigley of the Chicago Sky as she and the team get ready for Thursday night's playoff opener against the Dallas Wings, one of the youngest teams in the league. The playoffs have been a little bit up and down, right? There were some deep runs, and then there were some pretty heartbreaking losses. What do you and James Wade, Coach Wade, and the rest of the team, how do you get yourselves ready, and does it feel any different than prepping for a big game in the regular season? It definitely feels different. I think it's just this whole other level of energy, I think, and excitement, um, a little bit more, you know, pressure, stress. I can, it's almost every every emotion is just heightened. So I think we're going to feel that definitely coming up on this game Thursday. And we just got to be the best version of ourselves and just trust that, you know, everything we've done this year and this week leading up to the game is um, is enough. And we just have to trust that and go all out. Sarah and I have talked a lot this year about the importance of this anniversary season for the WNBA in general and the growing popularity of the sport. Has it felt different on the court this year than it has in prior years? Yeah, I think just like realizing it is the 25th year and, you know, seeing that nonstop, whether it's commercials or just them, you know, always talking about it, uh, makes you reflect that just how, you know, how far we've come and just me, me thinking back to the first year that it came out when I think when I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, and just, buying all the jerseys, buying Cynthia Cooper's shoes and the swoops and just realizing how far we've come. So I think it's definitely something that we think about a lot. Allie Quigley is with us here from the Chicago Sky on Spain and Fitz. ESPN, speaking of that 25, just ranked the 25 greatest players in WNBA history. First, I want to know if the team is talking about it. Are they looking at those rankings and debating amongst themselves where they got it right and wrong? Um, no, we haven't, honestly. I mean, I've seen, I've seen them on Twitter Just came out, yeah. and whatnot, but yeah, I've seen it, but we haven't really talked about it or debated it much. Okay, because I was reading and they had a follow-up article <laughs> with, with the folks, uh, you know, Michelle Vopel, Katie Barnes, Kevin Pelton, Rebecca Lobo, all the China, all the folks that voted on it got to do a post of, of uh, uh, you know, what are the things that I regret most about someone who didn't make it or did make it? And your wife came up because there, you know, there was a conversation about Tisha Penitero and how, you know, often she let in assists. But, you know, like we just talked about, if you want to be mad about Penitero's mission, maybe save some rage for Vandersloot, who's got, you know, broke her single game assist mark, will lead an assist for this many times, better shooter than Tisha. So uh, she got some love in there, even though she didn't quite make the top 25. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I did see that today, actually. So, I mean, I mean that's awesome. I think maybe when it's all said and done, when they do this list again, uh, she'll definitely have a chance and um, be mentioned. And I think she'll, she'll be the first to say it. Like, she wants a championship. I want a championship. So I think getting one of those under her belt would help, too. But... It's pretty awesome to even be mentioned or honorable mention in any kind of list like that. Allie, as you go into the playoffs, what do you think the biggest struggle for your team? What's a big thing that you guys have to accomplish in this first game? Uh, I think we have to start good. I feel like this year when we've started really well in the first quarter, we've done, we've won pretty much. So I think we got to start well. And um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Start well and stay consistent throughout the game. Well, we're looking forward to watching it. Looking forward to cheering you on. Fitz is an Aces fan. We're not going to hold that against him, though. They're not involved yet. He can be a Sky fan on Thursday night. Yet. Yet. Um, And just congrats. I remember writing that profile about you years ago, just trying to find your way in the league, and you've really found it in Chicago and become such a massive part of this team's success. It's been really fun to watch. Thanks so much for giving us some time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Sarah. Time, thanks for all your support, too. I remember for that sure. article. You're the yeah. best. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
I forgot to mention this earlier. I have a very quick anecdote. Uh, did a little reporting to figure out uh, last night when Gronk was on with the Manning brothers talking about how he never watches film, whether that was really accurate or if he was kind of leaning into his character. And the answer is the second. He doesn't sit at home and pour over tape like Brady does, but... Uh, you know, he watches a bit, and so he's sort of leaning in, trying to have some fun with the guys, but he was waiting for a moment, and he had this joke all lined up, and then the tone and the time was never there, but if you remember hearing about this last night, the, the Manning brothers were joking about the Patriots bugging locker rooms, right? And Gronk was all ready to come on and say, yeah, you know, you guys were right, we actually had cameras in there, and uh, Eli, your little thing was so small and white that Bill Belichick tried to sign it. <laughs> wow. And he couldn't wow. get it in because he just didn't have the right time and the right moment. But I want you to know that I put my reporter hat on to get you that tidbit, that actual real tidbit from Gronk last night. And he did get to get it on the show. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and get it in for him. Uh, phrasing for all of that. I'm so sorry. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. We were just talking to Allie Quigley of the Chicago Sky. And when the WNBA season started, Fitz and I pitted our teams against each other. Fitz roots for the Las Vegas Aces. I, of course, the Chicago Sky. And we placed a bet that whoever's team had the better regular season record uh, would be the winner. And the I guess the loser would be responsible for purchasing some merch for the other person of their favorite team and changing their avatar for one day to the logo of the other squad. And unfortunately... Solely because of Candace Parker's injury and nothing else. Of course, the Aces finished with a better record than the Sky, and I have lost a bet to Fitz for the first time I can recall. I would like to thank God, my life coach, <laughs> my therapist, my therapist's therapist, uh, everybody that helped me through these moments and these years to get to this moment. Uh, I'd particularly like to, to thank Annabelle because it seems that things are going uh, more lucky since she uh, she came into all of this. I, I that feel being like your dog, really, of course, for it, those this who is, don't this know. Is, right, right. <laughs> and this is this is about the community it takes because no one person can defeat Sarah Spain. It takes many <laughs> of us, and now I know what most people on around the horn will never know, which is the taste of sweet victory over Sarah Spain. It, it's it's a humbling moment, really. I'm I, I'm I'm in my feels a little bit. I'm a little emotional, but I'm glad we got here together. Uh, I appreciate that you knew that the only way for you to beat me was to put the entire Las Vegas Aces and, you know, uh, Asia Wilson and everybody on your back to do it. You knew that you couldn't beat me alone, so you managed to uh, get an entire team to support you, and, and I accept the loss. I will change my avatar tomorrow because I am not changing it on Thursday. That's when my Chicago Sky are taking on the wings. i got to make sure I've got my support <laughs> That's smart. showing up. That is smart. So tomorrow I will change my avatar. You do some browsing. Take a look at the best Aces merch that you're into. Send it on over. I would prefer if it not be, you know, a $250 satin jacket or something like that. Let's keep it reasonable over here. Um, But uh, congratulations on finally winning a bet. And won't you be surprised and delighted to find how easy it is to pay up on a bet instantly, immediately, without delaying or never doing it? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But did you see Dancing <laughs> with the Stars last night? Look at that change oh, wow. of subject. That was wow. just a quick change look of subject. At- that uh, I did, and I actually won around the horn today, so that's how you know it wasn't rigged. And I spent my FaceTime talking about Dancing with the Stars, number one, because Iman Shumpert was hilarious. I don't, I know you didn't have a chance to watch the whole episode, Fitz, but did you at least see clips of Iman Shumpert? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They were a delight. He he was a delight in that setting. And I, I'm really impressed when guys can give it their all in that. Like, it takes a lot to let loose and be free and do that, and I thought he was great in the clip I saw. 
Yeah, they definitely, like, they figured out pretty early on in this show, like, season one, by like, a couple weeks in, that, like, you actually look worse if you don't give it your all, right? It's more embarrassing to not try as hard as possible. So they go all in. But Iman Shumpert looked like if you took Andre 3000 and just stretched him out. Like, the longest Andre 3000 you've ever seen. <laughs> Similar ensemble from some of the most notable, you know, costumes and videos from, from Outcast, And then had that funky vibe. Like, his body movement was so compelling. It was a really fun watch. And for week one, where he's, like, done no training. I mean, his wife is obviously an incredible dancer, so there's that. You know, maybe they're, you know, just jerking around at home and, and having some fun with it and, 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 and playing around. But as far as actual training goes, this was it. And he looked really good for week one. Uh, but Iman Shumpert was not the focus of my love of, of last night's episode. It was Jojo Siwa. And the fact that I know who that is, this 18-year-old girl, is not because I watch Dance Moms or because I'm into her YouTube videos. I only know about it, one, because I have nieces and I have friends with, with daughters who are obsessed with her, but also because she's an 18-year-old who started out as a kid star, became a teen idol, and now at 18, just a couple years ago, came out as gay and... On the show, she has a female partner, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. We see LGBTQIA representation all over, but it's different somehow than a character in a show. This is, um, last night was just a fun quick step, but eventually, fits. things get pretty steamy on this show. You're going to have rumbas, and, and you know, you're going to have, you know, sexy dances where there's going to be middle America sitting at home watching an old Spice Girl and, you know, Brian Austin Green, and then and then this same-sex couple, like, grinding out there. And I'm here for it. I think it's going to be really good and really helpful to open up some people's minds. Yeah, representation is so important in the grand scheme of what people look for and what people watch for and the difference it can make. And that's something that, you know, Carl Nassib talked about, you know, just being open and acceptance from adults and what it can do to suicide rates for uh, any uh, any kids that are gay and uh, and and living in the LGBTQIA community, you know, it, it's it's about finding some sort of place where you feel like you belong. And if Dancing with the Stars can help representation for somebody that may not feel like they have acceptance wherever they are, I think that's huge and it's incredible. And it's great for the show to come out and just say, hey. We're going to let everybody be themselves in this environment. And that's, I think, part of what you have to be if you're going to be a show like that. You have to let people be themselves and the greatest version of themselves to truly thrive. So I think it's amazing. And it's it's really an opportunity for a lot of kids that may not find comfort in the local community to see that comfort on TV and know that they still have a place where they belong. Yeah, and it's not like Dancing with the Stars is like the bastion of, 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 you know, standard alpha masculinity or anything. But I do feel like it's a little bit less of an obvious place for this kind of moment than a show like Glee or, you know, yeah. moments that you know are about that. And they're very much with that intention. This show, as much as there's sparkles and sequins and glitter, has been about the male-female dynamic and, and that partnership from the beginning. And, you know, Chastity Bono was on the show. That was the first trans person, but he had a female partner and it was it was very traditional looking. This is changing a standard that I don't think I've ever seen in ballroom dance. And then also, again, it's going into the living rooms of people. This is their 30th season. So if you've been watching this show all along hmm. and all of a sudden they introduce this to you, you're maybe asking yourself if you're ready for it. And if you're not, hopefully you're sticking with the show and and learning something. Yeah, absolutely. And through the process of it, it's also such a diverse audience because. Yeah. Fans that come in from different places. I think it's a real opportunity to introduce people that otherwise may not be focused on anything outside of just the one person they're a fan of. There's a real opportunity. Yeah, there's some uh, country music stars in there, too. Made me think of you when I saw, um, I already forgot his name, Jimmy. 
whatever. It's Spain and Fitz. I'll find out the country (laughs) star from you later. Coming up, we're going to tell you what we found out through two weeks of NFL action. It's next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Insert team name here is terrible. And only days later, insert team name here is fantastic. It's the up and down of trying to figure out what we're actually seeing through the early portion of the NFL season, which is Virtually impossible. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And one thing that Sarah and I try to do is be fair and reasonable. We try to be balanced. There are hot take artists. We are more like lukewarm, well-thought-out take people, I think. That's what we at least attain, uh, try to attain. So to help us continue that process, we always like to bring on the great Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer. You can check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. And Bill joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Bill, usually I'm nervous about talking to you because I know that you're right about my beloved Raiders and they're going to stink. Let's just start there because for once they're 2-0 and and I feel happy. Should I be unnecessarily happy only two games into my season? Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for you, first off. I'm excited to see the Raiders doing well. And I think there's a lot to like here. I mean, this is an offense that we know over the past few years has been a playoff-caliber offense. The problem has been, of course, the defense has not lived up to expectations. And I think you have to be very optimistic about how they've played through two weeks. I mean, some struggles here and there for sure, but really impressive in the second half against the Ravens, then a solid job against the Steelers on Sunday. And I, guys, I don't know if there's music for this. I don't know if there's a a beat for this. I have a crazy, crazy stat for you regarding the Las Vegas Raiders. Wow, sing something. Sing beatbox, Fitz. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Crazy stat. Oh, boy. Crazy stat. Crazy stat of the week. So since Sean Gruden got there, Las Vegas Raiders, Oakland Raiders, of course, in the past, league low 13 times where they've won the turnover battle. They're 11-2 and in those games, including their first two games of the 2021 season. When they don't win the turnover battle, when they lose the turnover battle, guys, they're 1-20. in 20. So here's the solution oh, to wow. the Raiders' problem. Win the turnover battle. It's the <laughs> oldest school stat in the book, but that's what's going to matter. For the Raiders, it doesn't have to be a dominant defense, but if they can just get a turnover or two turnovers a week, they're going to be a playoff team this year. Yeah, it sounds especially meaningful with that team based on that statistic. We know that's huge for a lot of teams, but wow, that's an incredible one. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Bill Barnwell. Um, you know, I saw Kyler Murray talking about being frustrated. The team is 2-0. and The Cardinals looked great, especially in the first week. He has looked great. But as a complete team, I was expecting to see a lot more of a blowout win against the Vikings instead of nearly losing mm-hmm. that one. What did you see from the Cardinals in week two? And do you think that there's reason to have a little pause after what we expected uh, after week one? Yeah, I mean, that game really came down to a missed field goal, right? I mean, would we think dramatically differently about this team after their their start if the Vikings had hit really a chip-shot field goal to win that game? I think that'd be fair to say. I mean, this yeah. is a team that certainly, you know, they're going to go as far as their stars carry them. They're a top-heavy team, and the guys they have at the top are awesome. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Chandler Jones. We've seen those guys in the first two weeks be dramatic difference makers. My concern is what happens to the guys around them? What happens to the... Uh, you know, the, the the worst six or seven starters on the roster. What happens when we see injuries happen and guys come off the bench? Because this is not a very deep football team. And to me, I think, sort of like last year, they have to bank as many wins as possible 
early in the season. Because when you get to November and December, your depth is going to matter more. And they might have to have an impressive record, assuming they're going to lose a couple games. Maybe we would expect them to win later on in the year. So hopefully, of course, when they get the Jaguars this week, that seems to be uh, pretty much the team that everyone's going to be beating this year. So hopefully they get to 3-0. And that, again, typically tells us they're going to be a playoff team this year. We're talking to Bill Barnwell, ESPN senior writer on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. And Bill, you do such a good job of of not only watching these games, but studying the underlying trends that come from the analytics on it. So makes sense in my mind of what I should expect from a Vikings team that's 0-2, but has lost those two games in unique fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, a couple plays here and there and they are a 2-0 football team, and we're excited about the new Vikings and all they have to work with. But I, I think this is a team that is in crisis. And, I mean, if they lose to the Seahawks, I, I ran the numbers earlier today. I look at 0-3 teams going back to 2002 when the NFL just started the schedule. I think, like, one team out of 80 has made it to the postseason after an 0-3 start. Um, and this Vikings team, I think, is flawed. You know, again, sort of like the Cardinals, tons of top-level talent, but just – they have weak spots on that roster. We see them make mistakes. I mean, hey, that, you know, we, we see them blue coverage on a long Rondell Moore touchdown. They didn't have the horses to kind of keep up with Kyler Murray in that game. And that offense is good, but we saw Dalvin Cook go down injured for a part of that game and come back and, you know, miss time again. And, and I think it's just, this is a team that's so compromised by the stars they have and how much they're paying them that there's just so many weak spots on that roster. And I think uh, that roster construction is just tough to win with. And I think for the Vikings, if they don't, get off to a hot start, and this is kind of a lost season. And I wonder about the future for a lot of their core guys and their coach, Mike Zimmer, as well. Bill Barnwell of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, ESPN senior writer with us here on Spain and Fitz. Speaking of lost seasons, is it already over for the Colts? Yeah, it's it's getting there. I mean, I think you have to sort of lean on the fact that the AFC South does not appear to be a tough division. Uh, and Tennessee, of course, did pull out that miraculous comeback, but they're only one and one. Houston's one and one, but they just lost Tyrod Taylor to injured reserve. You know, it, it might only take eight wins or nine wins to win that division. And I still think the Colts can do that. But, I mean, Carson Wentz is not someone who usually gets better as the season goes on. He doesn't get healthier typically as the season goes on. And he's already dealt with a foot injury, now injuries to both ankles. And that team does not have a great backup. Jacob Eason would probably be the first guy on the field for them if Carson Wentz is unavailable. So um, I, I think they have to really think about how they want to build this team and how they want to play over the next few weeks. Because I think that they have to be a team that wins with defense and wins with their running game. Because Carson Wentz, I think at this point, even though I think he's played pretty well, they have to take some of the, uh, you know, the workload off of him. I just don't think he can count on him being a guy who's available for 17 weeks at this rate. So to me, I think get the ball to Jonathan Taylor, play defense, try and force takeaways and try to win games that way. Because I think, um, you know, I just don't think they can win with this formula right now. Well, that being said, Jonathan Taylor hasn't been the lights out back we expected. In your mind, is that the offensive line? Is that the running back? Like, what's the cause and how do they fix it? A little bit of everything, you know, but I I think that it's just going to happen from week to week. I mean, they played the Rams last week. The Rams are pretty good at stopping just about anything you're going to do on offense. Um, So I think you want to play some weaker defenses. Hopefully Tennessee um, has given up some running plays over the first two weeks of the year. So I think maybe you'd start there. Um, But I, I think at the end of the day, like, you just have to execute better. It's a boring answer, but I mean, this is a team that is supposed to have a great offensive line and they have to be that great offensive line. Quinton Nelson, of course, is not hundred percent coming back from his own foot injury. Um, Eric Fisher is just coming back from a torn Achilles. They might not be as good as they were a year ago. And if they're not, well, they might not be able to do anything effectively on offense. 
Phil Barnwell is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Phil, week one is sort of the, okay, let's see how much our preseason expectations match reality. Week two is, okay, let's see how much week one was a reality or whether we over, you know, overemphasized what we saw. After just the first mm-hmm. two weeks, who would you say is the team that has either dropped or risen in your mind the most? Like the biggest shock to you based on what you expected coming into the season? I might go with the Broncos. You know, a team that I don't think anybody was really thinking about heading into the season, kind of an afterthought. We all kind of assumed, okay, well, the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. The Broncos, you know, not really that excited. And granted, the competition, Giants that's and Jaguars, has not been very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's fair. And then they but take the Jets on, think, and they're 3-0, and and then we're like, well, the Broncos. <laughs> and then they play the Ravens and the Raiders and the Browns and, you know, <laughs> real teams. Right, for sure. But this is a team that coming into the year was projected to play the easiest schedule in the National Football League. So it's mm-hmm. not like it's going to get particularly tough over the course of the game. They play the Chiefs twice, but they play the Lions. They play the Bengals. They play the Washington football team. They play the Eagles. This might not be a tough schedule all year round. And for the Broncos, I mean, yes, it's been two easy teams, but they've been better than, honestly, even the final scores of those games said. They've had some unlucky stuff happen. They've had some bad breaks in those games. And I think they look very effective on both sides of the football. They're creating takeaways on defense. And Teddy Bridgewater, we know what he can do. He's a guy who's going to protect the football, make smart decisions. He's not going to be a guy who turns into Patrick Mahomes, but he can be a guy who holds up his end of the bargain. And to me, I think that's a winning formula against a very weak schedule for the Denver Broncos. And again, hey, if they get to 3-0, and we know historically that almost guarantees you're going to make the postseason. That would be a big step forward for a team that I think really nobody was thinking about before the season began. You can follow him on Twitter, at Bill Barnwell. Of course, check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. See him or listen to him all across ESPN. Bill Barnwell, the great ESPN senior writer. We always appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for coming on and spreading Raider joy with me. That's really what this was all about. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bill Barnwell on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. All right, we made picks on Friday, and we always like to be honest with you and tell you how we did throughout the course of the weekend. Now that the NFL week has come to a close, how did we do? Plus, some teams that we're still not 100% sure about in this NFL season. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Now, we've been uh, asking you guys, you can keep chiming in. What do you think uh, Aaron Rodgers has revealed he's growing his hair out for Halloween? So you can keep tweeting us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, what do you think he's uh, growing it up for? What's the costume? We're getting a lot of Macho Man votes. Maybe that's just because mm. I have too many 80s wrestling people in my menchies. But either yeah, you're way. you're getting a lot uh, more Macho Man than I am. <laughs> well, that probably says something about the fact that I like Macho Man too much. In the meantime, one thing I also like is when we, you know, we let everybody know whether we're good, whether we're bad, because one thing we do here, we don't just make picks. We also have receipts. The picks are in. Some truly shined, while others demand accountability. We've got receipts on Spain and Fitz. All right, so with that being said, let's remind everybody on Friday going into the weekend of NFL action what we thought, how we thought our five games each that we pick were going to play out. Out of pure trying to keep my soul afloat and prevent the darkness from taking over my corporeal being, I'm going to pick the Bears over the Bengals. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I'm going to take Penn State over Auburn at home in the wideout. 
I think the Browns are going to handily defeat the Texans and get themselves back on track. We agree on that pick. I also have the Browns over the Texans. Houston, we have a problem. As of right now, I will always pick Jacksonville to lose. The Broncos are going to beat the Jags. Brilliant! Brilliant! I am taking the incredible-looking Arizona team and that offense and that MVP candidate, Kyler Murray, over Minnesota. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! The Packers are just going to just absolutely do naughty, naughty, naughty things to the Lions. So I'm going Tampa Bay, reigning champs who looked great over the Cowboys, over Atlanta who looked absolutely disastrous. He's trash. This week, obviously, I have to pick the Raiders game. They are in Pittsburgh. I'm picking the Steelers. It is good! It's so good. Are you kidding me? Oh, my. Inconceivable. I can't believe it. 5 and 0, baby. Yeah. I, I went four and one this week and I lost ground to Sarah yeah. Spain because she was yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I've never been happier about being wrong than when it's about my own team losing. Unbelievable. Woo! Unbelievable. Your only miss was betting against your squad. Meanwhile, I had faith in my team. And despite an injury to our starting quarterback about whom everyone is very excited, we still won. About whom everyone is. Sure, 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 sure. The, you know, the undertold part of that game, and I know we've talked about it a lot, but the undertold part of that game is that Joe Burrow did not look good. And you know, like, I'm I'm over mm. here, like, running the street team making buttons for Joe Burrow. I love the kid. Like, I want him to be spectacular, but he did not look like a second-year quarterback set to take a massive leap in that game against the Bears. So kudos on you. You called that one. Uh, I, I, I thought that one was going to be too close to call. I stand well, by my logic. Real East quick. Coast. Real quick, you know, the interesting thing about Burrow is he had gone 200 passes. He had the longest streak in all of the NFL without an interception. And then against the Bears, three straight picks on three straight passes. I don't know if it was the first one that threw him off and then he just kind of unraveled. But, yeah, for a Bears defense that did not look good against the Rams, got blown up. There were still some secondary issues. There were still some things that I need to, you know, worry about as they go to take on the Browns this week. But... That was a really big confidence boost for that defense to be able to pick apart Burrow and the Bengals, even if they aren't a great team. And I stand by my logic in the one team, the one game I got wrong. Short week, going to the East Coast, taking on the Steelers. It felt like every opportunity for the Raiders to lose that game. I'm just incredibly happy that I uh, obviously am a moron. So four and one gets me in second <laughs> that's place. Back. You know, that's it. Yeah, that's that's going to get cut. I really got to think about that. Stasha's on top of all this stuff. But four and one gets me one game back of you now from the season because we both went three and two week one. So uh, at this point, you are now eight and two while I am seven and three. Still staggering good, good results so far. Yeah. Uh, remember, we're picking straight Better up. Better than not your spread. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. Staggeringly good re- Results. What was the word you used earlier? I don't know. I, you know, I'm not smart enough to do all that. Just too many of them. Yeah, that's that's fair because you're smart and I'm I'm pretty. That's my job here. Uh, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. There are some teams we're trying to figure out where we stand on. And again, it's not about last week. It's not even about week one. It's about the two of them together. And you know, for us, it's a little bit of a jury's out conversation because let's look at the Saints, for example. Everybody was so convinced that Jameis was fixed week one and week two suddenly it's well what did we expect this is Jameis like let's remember after week one there were people saying that he should have started last year instead of Drew Brees like that was an actual topic on debate shows like I don't understand how we went so far so now that we've seen the best and the worst of Jameis 
it only makes me think that I'm really uncomfortable being comfortable with New Orleans being good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're you're really uncomfortable about being comfortable about New Orleans being good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you're not very... comfortable with the idea that they're good? Right. That was you a, don't my... yet know if they're good. Okay, I think right. I got there. Yeah. Um, I agree now that I understand. Uh, yeah, I mean, I listen, I uh, I think people, you know, took my takes on on Jameis early on as saying he's going to be awful and terrible. I don't believe that, but I thought people were rushing. You know, there were people saying top 10 quarterback in the league, and I just don't know that you could fix what's between the ears as quickly as people imagined. And again, I don't think it's possible that you can have bad enough eyesight that you could change everything with LASIK and people wouldn't have figured something out before that, right? It could be better. I don't think it's as demonstrative as everyone's making it out to be, the difference in what he was seeing before and what he's seeing now. I think... Basically, the Panthers were able to shut down the run, and everything that came out of the offense in the first week for the Saints was establishing the run to set up the pass. And when the Panthers removed that, this was an anemic offense. I mean, we're looking at the worst outings from both Jameis and Sean Payton of their careers across multiple statistical fronts. So uh, I don't think this is what they're going to be either, but it's probably somewhere in the middle. So the jury's still out for me for sure on the Saints. Yeah, the jury's still out for me on the Titans also, a team that was just getting thumped in the first half and then came back and had a beautiful second half behind Derrick Henry. But I'm still looking at a Titans team that uh, drastically underperformed week one to what I expected and looked for half of week two like it was going to go absolutely downhill. So did they get some momentum from the second half? Is that going to be the method for them? Or are they just a bad team that had a half of good football? I don't know. I feel very similarly about the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins might be in a tougher spot because of the competition, but they got smacked. And I feel like after watching the Dolphins week one and the Titans week two, I'm like, were those real good wins or were those W's that later on in the season are going to look pretty fraudulent because I am definitely juries out on both the Titans and the Dolphins. Yeah. I never thought I'd say this, but the Dolphins going to Vegas will be a better test. And, uh, and, and seriously, as much as we've joked about the Steelers, I think there are some real questions about whether or not they can put together a competent team there. So uh, I, I sense peck injury. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's it's uh, I got nothing. Uh, there's just nothing I can say to that that's not going to get me fired. So you are right about that a thousand percent. All right, Spain and Fitz. Aaron Rodgers spoke. The question is, what does it mean? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on an extra long Spain and Fitz. We're going to 930 tonight, taking you into some baseball. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. So we saw the Packers get back into some semblance of the team we expected. Still a lot of questions on defense, and it was a Lions team that shot themselves in the foot or kicked themselves in the you-know-what. But we do walk away with still some questions about the mindset of Aaron Rodgers, a guy who very clearly cares what people think and admitted as much about, you know, listening to and hearing the criticisms of people alleging that he didn't care enough in game one, that he looked sort of apathetic as they were getting the beat down from the saints. And it's understandable fits for any competitive person, for anybody who's in the public to be affected by what people think and say about them. But there are some questions for me about Aaron Rodgers that I don't think were there before. I think I used to have a lot of defense for him as a really intelligent guy, thoughtful guy who views things differently, but he's gotten into a rut 
blaming the quote-unquote media for everything. Um, I, I've heard him on some interviews talking about stuff where it seems like he has a pretty cursory knowledge of it and, and kind of goes out on a limb, wants to sound smart, but I can't tell if there's really a lot behind it. And some of the things that he said, both in the presser yesterday and then again today on the Pat McAfee show with his appearance, have me sort of scratching my head about whether now he's responding or fueling a lot of the conversation around him. Here's what he said on McAfee. It's absolute horse to give a platform to people who have no idea what they're talking about as far as my mental state and, you know, my focus, my work habits, people that have not been around me, uh, they're not in my life. I don't have communication with them or not in the locker room. It's so ridiculous that, that people give get a platform to do this. And it's the same type of people. On the flip side of that, I think in this day and age of media, the, the things that get the most, it's all about clicks, right? And hits and views and uh, one second counts as a view. So the, the actually opinions that are garnering the most attention are the most outlandish. So, so it's not even overreaction Monday or Tuesday anymore. It's overreaction every time a microphone's in your face, every time you have a single shot in the camera to get to talk to camera. I don't think I need to defend myself from people who aren't worth spending time on, but I'm always going to give a reminder that listen to the source. Yeah, Fitz, I mean, I agree with some of that, right? Definitely don't let people who barely know him or barely spend time with him at all, if any, lead the way on conversations about who he is, what his relationships are, all of that. But also this idea of just consistently and over and over and over again, this is something he's been preaching for such a long time about the media. You know, people will just read a headline. People will just believe this. Yeah, that's kind of life now. And I'm not saying it's okay, but... That's going to happen. So how much are you going to let it catch you up? It feels like something he is devoting too much of his time and energy to. I, I think there's a couple of things. And and by the way, you know, I some of it, some of what he just said in his answer is sort of correct. Like a, a right. view, uh, you know, a one second counts as a view, for example, is a popular perception that actually isn't correct when it comes to the way uh, shows are rated and Nielsen's rated, which counts on digital. So like he knows that, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it's just it's close to being correct, but it's not all correct. The one right. thing I would say about a lot of what he just said there is he also knows the way radio and TV is done. We take a soundbite from Aaron Rodgers and we play it and we respond to it. We react to it. We give opinion on it. That's sort of what fuels this entire industry. It's what fans do. It's what those of us that get to sit in front of a microphone do. So when we've been having the Aaron Rodgers conversation for months, it's it's partially because of things he said. It's partially because of things former teammates have said, pro and con for Aaron Rodgers. That's what's fueled the conversation. So it's not necessarily just a bunch of people running in blind with no no information it's usually reaction to information that we're given it's not always the right reaction but there is some basis to most of it so it it is interesting because it's such a straw man argument the way he's putting it out there it's like he's fighting ghosts that I don't know where they've come from right and I think there's some frustration that a couple of the same former teammates are always the ones out there and people are listening to their takes but he has other people that support him listen I think Part of it, too, is it reminds me a little bit of the Kevin Durant stuff. It's not to say that you lose your humanity or your ability to be affected by other people's opinions of you, especially when they're based on falsehoods and you know that that's the case. But there is an element of you're a million, you know, multi-million dollar MVP, Super Bowl winner, certain Hall of Famer, 
in a moment in your life when, in theory, you should be thrilled about your engagement and the Jeopardy opportunity and another season and another chance to add to your legacy. And instead, you're so very clearly caught up in other people's perceptions of you and whether you're likable, but look like you don't care if people like you, right? There's just, there's a, there's, there's an angst there that is totally understandable, but frankly depressing for me, the same way that it makes me really sad that Kevin Durant isn't just really excited to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time in his prime, enjoying life, spending his money and time on whatever makes him, you know, feel good instead of sitting on his phone all day. And he's allowed to do that. So is Aaron Rodgers. It just kind of makes me sad. Yeah, that's the hard part. And look, I'm victim of it too. You know, let me be the the first to admit openly that I can get a hundred texts or a hundred tweets after a show I've done that are all really nice. And then you get one or two where somebody's taken something you've said completely out of context and made yeah, you look like a moron. I'm sorry about that. More. I, you know, I got to <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> but that's the one that eats you. Like, I'll find myself a day later sitting there saying, you know what, I'm going to tweet that. You know, that that's where your mind goes. <laughs> and I'm willing to admit that. Like, I'm human. And for me personally, social media is really difficult because I find the negativity just sits in the back of my head. And, and the positivity doesn't get the same emphasis that the negativity gets. I'd love to say that I'm big enough and strong enough to work through that. I'm not all the time. And that's okay. Like it's okay for Aaron Rodgers to not be great at that stuff if he's not. But there are a lot of athletes that want to come in and say, I don't care what anybody says. And then all they're doing is reacting to what people right. say. So you can't have it both ways. Like if you don't care, don't care, log off. If you do care, then be honest about it and just be real. And I think that's why, and it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talk about Aaron Rodgers. It's hard to tell who's and we talked about this on Around the Horn today, is he the prodder or the prodi at this point, right? Is he reacting or is he now creating another cycle? And so now it's, you know, where's the head of the snake and the tail? And it's just an endless loop. And again, it's 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 difficult for me because I do see the humanity in these people, regardless of how much money they make or how much success they have. And it's very difficult to have people believe things about you that are untrue, um, and and for him, there is a lot out there that he is not in control of in terms of the narrative. But at the same time, you have to figure out what you're in control over and what you cannot control and then let some of it go. Because I don't know that it serves him or the team or his happiness to be so caught up in this stuff. I think there's a way to let it roll off that stops people from talking as much about it. But the, the, the hardest thing is going to be, Sarah, because it's been such a large conversation for months, now it's going to be really difficult. You have to work aggressively to end a conversation. And, you know, Mike Oleg Jr. said a couple of years ago one day, and it always sticks in my head, that sometimes the hardest thing to say is nothing at all, and it's the right thing, you know? And at some point, what's going to happen, because of all of this chaos that's been around the situation – Every time he has a bad game, we're going to be right back in this conversation mm -hmm. of where is he, what's going on, what's the problem with, like, that's the inevitable you-know-what storm that's been created. I don't know how to stop it. I don't know if Aaron can stop it, and it's going to become a difficult part of being part of the Packers organization this year. It is, absolutely, and the only solution is success. And unfortunately, uh. because of what he and that team have already done, success is basically winning it all. Like I said before, winning the NFC North, meh, no one really cares. Everyone expects you to. Winning a couple playoff games, eh, everyone expects you to. It's can you get back to the promised land? Can you win it all? Can you walk out of Green Bay, probably middle fingers up, en route to one more stop somewhere else, which is likely to happen at the end of the season, 
and everybody will cheer for you because you got them what they wanted and they'll say screw you on the way out too because they always side with the man in cases like this. It's a very strange uh, situation going on up in Green Bay. And we saw last year a lot of this talk about the butting of heads with with his head coach, Matt LaFleur, and instead they got along well. They had a lot of great success. I don't know if it will be as easy to smooth over this year because there is always that inevitability that we see at the end of the season of him probably being done. And there are a lot of people who have already turned on him in Green Bay, even as he's trying to win that one last title for the fan base. Uh, certainly won't be uh, devoid of drama. The question is whether he'll add to it or eventually just let it let it slip away. And Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, coming up. Which team is facing the most pressure in the final days of the baseball season? The Yankees or the Padres? Someone else? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to tune into an NL West battle tonight as the Padres host the Giants. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. That's right. We got baseball at 9.30, which means we got a whole extra half hour of Spain and Fitz coming at you when the top of the hour hits. So uh, settle in. It's an extra large Spain and Fitz. Uh, We're going to talk a little baseball here. Also, uh, Chris Singleton's going to join us later to get you into that game that's on tonight. But lots of conversation with about two weeks to go. There was a really nice piece on .com, a handful of ESPN baseball writers sharing what they're most excited about as the uh, the end of the year comes. Uh, I personally have been pretending that baseball doesn't exist ever since the Cubs broke my heart in ways that I didn't know were possible. You, on the other hand, are marching toward a definitive moment in your life, which is the selection of your very own baseball team, uh, which, by the way, as the season's getting closer, we might need to get on that again. I think no, we got, I mean, it, we're getting close. I think we did this the smart way, though, because we're down to just a few teams left in my Major League Baseball Bachelor, and Let's be real. I mean, going to the playoffs could be that extra thing that gets you a rose, right? Ooh, like, so I am a, I've got to make sure everybody understands. I am going to be a front runner. I want oh, a winner. 100%. I've got you enough teams in my lo- life that yeah. lose. I want somebody that's going to win World Series after World Series, that's going to spend gross amount of money, that is going to be the team everybody else hates, and I could just flaunt it every time. Like, well, I'm not here to see anything less than championships. You've certainly got some options. Your remaining teams are the Red Sox, Reds, Brewers, Yankees, and Padres. Bunch of important series coming from those teams as we near the end of the season. And a lot of people talking about who's under the most pressure. And there's so many ways to spin that, right? Who has the most at stake here? Um, Some would argue it's the Yankees. As much as we talk about them as the evil empire, as much as we understand that we could complain about them winning too much and spending too much and it being unfair, they have had a lengthy title drought, especially when it comes to Yankees expectations. It's no Cubs and Indians, but it is lengthy for a team that has the kind of expectations and spends as much as they do. They also got really aggressive at the trade deadline, and if they were to just miss out on a wild card slot, not do anything in the postseason, it feels like a really big deal because we always know the Yankees are trying. Trying as much, if not more, than anybody else compared to some other teams. Yeah, that's one thing that really stands out to me. The Yankees are very Cowboys-like in that nature. Like, they're always going to spend the money. They're always going to be talked about. They're always going to be part of the conversation for the sport. 
But what what does it matter if they're not winning World Series? Like that's the only goal if you're in the Yankees organization. I know that's the only goal for everybody, but it's not, right? Oh, but like, especially so, right? I mean, it, right? And and there's this moment of trying to figure out pressure because I would argue that that's pressure because of past success and because of expectation. At the same time, there's a ton of pressure in my mind on the Padres because of past failure and expectation. Mm-hmm. Like when you spend the money that they spend, and when you turn around and you you brand yourself basically as this young, fun, up and coming team that's also going to be great and you don't look great it, that fan base has got to be sitting around saying well if not now then when and if if not now then never and what's the point like every year we think it's going to turn around and it just never happens I think that's a much different type of pressure but it's equally daunting for everybody in the organization and yeah it's interesting how they could almost be the opposite and yet it could mean so much both ways. Both of them have managers who may have a little bit of a hot seat right now. Certainly Boone, maybe Jace Tingler as well. But you look at the spending and the Padres, a team that you don't always associate with that. You do associate with trying, fading down the stretch, being a bit disappointing. But the payroll of the Padres this year, the expectations all year long of people saying, oh, the Dodgers better be looking in their rearview mirror. The Padres are closer than they appear the big names, the money that they have on you, Darvish and Blake Snell and, you know, the guys that they added thinking that they were about to make that push. If that doesn't happen, that's a big deal in a place that, like you said, eventually people just stop, stop, stop believing. It's like every year when the Mariners have a hot start, you're like, just wait, just wait. It's going to end. I mean, you're not wrong. And, and that in and of itself is a little hopeless it, it, just in the way that it feels because you got to look at it and say, how do we have that much talent and not not play better? I, I will say, by the way, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. I think one of the crazy and amazing things about the end of Major League Baseball season, even for a guy that's not a massive baseball fan, one of the most incredible things about it is game counting. Because what we're looking at with the AL wildcard race, for example, is you have the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays that are all basically in a three-way tie, and they're all going to be playing each other. Like There's these the head-to-head matchups that still exist. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how one of the bummers was that the Giants and the Dodgers weren't going to play again the rest of the season to figure out how they were going to play out. The AL wildcard race coming down to this situation where now you've got fans from each of those teams saying, well, we've got X amount of games against this one. And this is like you're counting games that matter still, which I think is really cool and also part of what brings so much drama to the last two weeks of the MLB season. Totally agree. You get all these uh, matchups that happen to be coming down to the wire with teams that have a lot on the line. We just saw that that uh, Padres Cardinals series that the Cardinals swept. If I think I think they swept that whole four game series with the Padres, which was disastrous. Maybe yeah, three game series. My bad, three game series for the Cardinals. But you look at those two teams going in completely opposite directions. Cardinals have suffered from a ton of injuries. Their starting staff is hurt. And yet, since the, the the MLB All Star Game, I think heading into that series, they were thirty two and twenty three. And on the other side of things, the Padres, since the All Star Game, heading into that series, were twenty and thirty two. They just are completely going in opposite ways. And the the baseball season is so long, and the the ability to put it together, start to finish, is such an impressive part of it. It's why I always say that you should be allowed to celebrate the wild card birth, the first playoff win, the second playoff, like all of that, um, because it is so hard to put it all together. And if the Cardinals end up beating out the Padres and the Reds for the NL wild card, boy, that, that I mean, the Cardinals were out of it a while back. And that's going to be an impressive fade by those two teams.
As a Cubs fan, does, does that like does that twist the knife a little bit, or do you just yeah, not yeah, care? Yeah, yeah, sure does. Yeah, no, okay. I don't want the Sorry. Cardinals uh, to no, ever no, be good fine, at anything, and uh, it's frustrating. One team it's hard for me to root against in the last couple of weeks of the season is the Blue Jays because they're just hitting so fun. well and it's fun to so watch. Fun. Yeah. Like that's just like just being honest. Uh, as much as I already kicked the Blue Jays off on my my bachelor, so like I'm looking back at it saying, man, maybe I let a Gooden get away because uh, I like how I also make good one into Gooden. That's where my Gooden. full Southern yeah. boy just Look came right you. in. You but know, that's but more they, of a Mets thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, see what I did there? See what I did there? Wow. Uh, but I, I find myself looking at the Blue Jays saying it's impossible to root against that team just because they're hit, they're hitting so well. So, like, I need the Yankees and Red Sox for, for one just to eliminate the other, essentially, so that the Blue Jays still find their way in because I want that level of hitting in, in my playoffs. We all know that once you get to playoff baseball, the way they shorten up the rotation, pitching is such a key to it. I've got to have somebody in there that I know can just light it up in any at-bat, and I I have the best chance of getting that from the Blue Jays right now, the way they're hitting. So I'm all in on Toronto sneaking their way into this playoff battle. Yeah, I mean, I think Toronto's pretty easy to like because they haven't been really good enough lately to, to make them hateable, right? Like they've had, a, they've, they, you know, they, they got that wild card berth last year and um, they had some success, you know, in the early 90s, but they haven't won the division since 2015. They've only made the playoffs, I think, twice three times uh since 2015 so you know this is not a team that's stacking on w's and you remember those hard-fought series where they took your team out of it they're just a bunch of young fun guys big hitters really fun to watch and um those are the kind of teams you can get behind when you get to the postseason you're like oh god the yankees uh the reds the cardinals like none of them none of them do i want to feel good about I mean, and can we just acknowledge that through all of the length of Major League Baseball season, the fact that there are multiple playoff spots that, uh, that honest to God, could come down to the last yeah. day of the regular season, that's just that's a huge win for MLB. It's a huge win. Like we talk about the NFL and their smartness in scheduling division rivalries for Week 17. This is a huge win for Major League Baseball whenever it comes down to the last day. It really is. Check out that story on ESPN.com. Two weeks to go, what they're most excited about with about 14 days left. Really good stuff over there. Coming up, some more good stuff. Or is it hot stuff? Yeah, we usually do good take, hot take on Mondays, but there was so much overflow after two weeks of NFL. We're going to get into it here. We might even have a hot or good take from a different sport, too. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the green way, way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. All right, so we've got, you know, we're, we're going to just throw it out there. We'll throw out some takes and we'll figure out if they were done right or if they were just a little bit burnt and we're going to start with our good buddy Mike Tannenbaum ESPN NFL front office insider who was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max today this morning when he said this about Ben Roethlisberger it's human nature guys he's 39 years old he's made 200 million dollars in his career which he deserves he's an all-time great they lost three offensive linemen Alejandro Villanueva, David DeCastro, and most notably the quarterback of their offensive line. And Pouncey. Marquise Pouncey. And to me, guys, here's where I see a misalignment. Bring those three dudes back and have a last dance with him and the quarterback. But don't start a couple of rookie offensive linemen with a guy that doesn't want to get hit anymore. And I'll tell you this, like the gap at the quarterback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the first time in a decade is pretty significant. Mm. What do you think, Sarah? Good take, hot take. Is Ben done? 
I think it's a good take. I don't think he's done done, but he didn't really say that. He said that this is a worrying situation to have a quarterback with the left pec injury, as he pointed out, sacked 10, I'm sorry, sacked twice, but hit 10 times in the loss to your Raiders and took a bunch of big sacks against the Bills as well. It's been a while since he's had to deal with that, not only because he's not a mobile QB, but because, again, of those offensive line guys that he lost. But at almost 40 years old, dealing with injury, um, the frustration, I I think done in terms of mental approach, I'm not going to say that he's out there and wants to be out there regardless of how tough it might be with a different offensive line makeup. But I do think physically part of the reason that I've been suspect about whether the Steelers are a contending team and I haven't thought them to be so is because I just think that we're seeing the very quick decline of Roethlisberger and this is just the beginning of this injury. Well, and and I think it's a good take also. Uh, I love what you just said about the very quick decline because sometimes we forget that we become so spoiled by Tom Brady that we forget that oftentimes when a quarterback hits whatever that wall is going to be, it happens, it's sudden, and it's jarring to see, right? And so all of a sudden you see a quarterback that went from being uh, elite to a quarterback that looks like they're physically incapable of doing the things they used to do. And we knew that that time would be inevitable at some point for Ben. The thing is, I still believe that if Ben were surrounded by a bunch of talent and had all everything right and could be a little insulated, he's a, a very good quarterback that can win. But to the point that Mike made, that offensive line is just too banged up, which means you're asking too much of a quarterback that is no longer that kind of quarterback. And that's okay. Like It's just part of the process of, of what happens to all athletes. We're doing good take, hot take. We'll go next to Jeff Saturday, ESPN NFL analyst. He was on Greeny today, uh, the the host that sat in for Greeny, dashingly good looking. I don't know who he is, but wow. Yeah, I don't know was either. I turned it off as soon as I heard it because I was like, wait, where's Greeny and who's this guy? Yeah, well, you know, he's, he's dad, just used to next time watch it on ESPN Plus because, man, oh, wow, supermodel in the too? making. Sounds uh, terrible. But in the- <laughs> In the meantime, he asked Jeff Saturday what he thinks about the new taunting rules, and this is what Jeff had to say. Worst rule in sports, bro. Worst rule in sports. This is as ridiculous as it gets. I mean, football is hard enough as it is. When you're successful, celebrate it. Like, it's hard work. I mean, it's hard for your work to drive it down and get a touchdown. It's hard work to pick up that fourth and short. Like, it's hard work to do what we do. It's hard work for those that those corners to cover these receivers with the rules the way they are now. If they knock one down or a play's overthrown it, let them celebrate. Completely agree. By the way, good on you for getting him to give that great quote, even though the rest of what you had to say was mostly meaningless. It was uh, very well (laughs) said. And I think, you know, we talked about this on Around the Horn today. I think there still is going to need to be an emphasis from players on understanding the inconsistencies around this. Lamar can flip into the end zone, no problem. Another guy, you know, backpedals and it is an issue. Some some can spin a ball, some can't, some can clap. It is very inconsistent. And in order to not have their team suffer, players do need to pay extra attention in the coming weeks. At the same time, I do think that the NFL behind the scenes after this past week where there were as many taunting calls as all of last season, that they are going to behind the scenes very quietly say to officials, abort this mission. The emphasis is unnecessary. 
back it off and slowly move away because this would not be the first time Fitz that we've heard about emphasis on a specific rule early in the season and then have noticed it was called a lot in the preseason, maybe first game or two, and then slowly sort of fades away and becomes more normal again. And I think especially in this case, they are going to choose that and they're going to tell the officials that because it's been a disastrous reaction from all sides to what it looked like last week. And they got lucky that it wasn't truly the deciding factor in a game outcome. Although there are some t- some games where you could say it was a big swing. All right, so here's the thing. It was a it was a smart take when he talked about all of the problems with the rules, but it's a hot take, Sarah. Why? Why? Because at the beginning of his answer, he says, worst rule in all of sports. Nope, targeting in college football, way worse than this one. Oh. Like the ejection that comes from targeting, mm. far worse than this. So it's a bad rule. Targeting's worse. Okay, also though then, if we're really going by like literal exactly what he said, the worst thing, we're going touchbacks. There are better ways to handle a touchback. The idea that you have possession of the ball and then just because you happen to lose it in that exact spot, you just, I mean, I that is by far, other than the unwritten rules of baseball, which are not written but are still rules and are definitely the worst rules in all of sports despite being unwritten, touchback is number two. All right, I, I'm with you on that, too. Like, fumbling out of the end zone, there's got to be a smarter way to do it. All right, Jay will gets in on this fun. That's right, we're doing good take, hot take. Jay will was on Barton Hahn today talking about Ben Simmons and the breaking news and what it could mean for Ben. This is what he said. I talked to Rich Paul, and Rich Paul was the one that told me, he's like, we want out. We want out. And we'll go to whatever degree we have to go to in order to get out. Uh, we're going to be anywhere but in Philadelphia. So it, it almost like, you know, for the lack of a better terms to use football analogy here, it's like I can make a case. Granted, the scenarios are different. I'm not saying they're similar. But, like, Ben Simmons might be the Sam Darnold of the NBA, right? Like, you're watching how Sam Darnold is being activated differently within Carolina. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Ben didn't have tools around him because Ben had tools around him. But what I am saying is that I, I do feel like the way they utilize Ben in Philadelphia is not his position. Oof. Uh, I could see why you might think that, but it's a hot take for me. Um, number one, because I think that Bill, uh, Ben Simmons' issues are probably less about the situation that he's in in Philadelphia as much as they are who he is. And until I see him somewhere else thriving able to successfully shoot the ball in the fourth quarter, at the free throw line, be on the arc, be a more multifaceted player. I'm not going to blame the Sixers for that. I think you could argue either way. They should have been tougher on him. They should have been easier on him, any sort of response. But also because I'm not sold on Bradford yet. I know you are. I know you had high expectations for him, and he already looks better. Um, But I just don't know that that's – I don't know that we've seen enough yet to say for sure that he's a different guy. And I think that whole, the grass is always greener. I said Bradford, I meant Darnold. Uh, that the grass is always greener. I think we need to see more from Darnold to know for sure that he's a totally different QB. By the way, Sixers coach Doc Rivers will be tomorrow morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max at 9.30 Eastern. You don't want to miss that. It was a hot take. Coming up, we'll get you set for a huge series for one team trying to make the playoffs. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Yes, we are still here. One last segment of this extra large, extra long Spain and Fitz before we send you into baseball. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're uh, we're going to keep getting some information from y'all 
uh, also on on Twitter because we asked you what Aaron Rodgers might be growing out his hair to look like. Getting a lot of Lebowskis, a yeah. lot of Lebowskis. Again, the Nicholas Cage Con Air gif would be a great one if that's what he's going for. Uh, but keep them coming. We'll tell you what you guys have said before the end of the show. But in the meantime, Chris Singleton, ESPN MLB analyst, part of MLB on ESPN Radio, joins us now. He's on the call for the game tonight that's following just a couple minutes after this show ends. And Chris, like, let's just talk about, there's about two weeks left. There's so many races still going on. What does it feel like for these players? How do they manage to go in and say it's just another, hopefully, nine innings, we'll see tonight, uh, as opposed to getting that, like, postseason tightness already down the stretch? Yeah, I think it's a real exciting time. Um, I always looked at it that way. I love when the calendar turned from August to September um, for multiple reasons. You know, you started to get a little bit of that, uh, you know, fall in the air, college football's on, so you have a little bit of a distraction as well to break up just, you know, some of that stress, Sarah, and focus on, you know, how your team's doing. You can come in the clubhouse, there might be college football games on or what have you. But one thing I always found as a player, what was great when you got into September and and even beyond into the postseason was that it became about the team and it became about the W as opposed to, you know, the first, you know, three, four, five months of the of the year. You're looking at putting up your numbers. You're trying to either make an all-star team or you're looking at, you know, setting yourself up for contract in the offseason. But when you get to this point, you know, the focus really becomes singular and it's a really good feeling to, you know, not have to be like as selfish as uh you are during the regular season because you're thinking about the team and you're thinking about yourself. At this point, you're just thinking about the team. And it's wonderful how much uh, stronger you can come together. Obviously, we're seeing some teams where maybe they are tearing a little bit uh, apart, or at least it appeared that way, maybe with the Padres last weekend um, and what happened with Machado and, and Tatis. But again, the reality of things like that are you're a family, you are in the battle, and those things happen all the time. And it's funny, we were talking to Jace Tingler, the skipper of the Padres uh, pregame today. And, you know, he kind of echoed those same uh, sentiments. But, you know, I thought about it to myself just because we sometimes all need to cut a little slice of humble pie. How many times have you and your spouse, you know, been into a little like, you know, and all of a sudden you look up and the neighbors see you guys, you're right. out in the front and you're, right. you know, <laughs> it's like we've all had those moments, right? So it's not like, oh, we're, you know, we're getting a divorce or things aren't going well. It's just like, no, that's how it goes. So um, that's kind of a... Uh, you know a bit of it but yeah it, it's a it's an exciting time there are pl- teams like the Blue Jays that are super excited they're talented and they're like come on guys keep our foot on the gas we're young but you know we're maybe getting here a little bit early but we're going to get to October and then you have on the other side a team like the Yankees that are saying yeah if we don't get this done there could be you know mm-hmm. some significant changes. Chris, there's so much on the line for both of these teams in tonight's matchup and for the next couple of weeks the Giants bats have been on fire what do the Padres need to do tonight to stop that? Well, they're going to have to first start. It's going to have to start on the mound. And uh, Joe Musgrove, who's been really good, um, you know, outstanding uh, pitcher for this team and really a constant for this team, which has had struggles in the starting rotation, so much so that they got rid of their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, uh, you know, a month, month and a half ago. Um, but he's going to have to set the tone out there, you know, on the mound against a very good hitting team. But it's also going to be imperative that the bullpen, at whatever point they come in, because the Giants, I've, wa- I've, I've watched, I've done, you know, many games of theirs this year, and I've become extremely impressed with their, oh, I'm going to get probably hate tweets or whatever, but their Dodger-like ability Ooh. to, like, mm. get on the scoreboard really quickly. Like, you know, the Dodgers can punch you in the face 
real fast. You can dominate them maybe on a night, six, seven innings, and all of a sudden, kaboom. That's what the Giants, they have some of that, and I've seen it. It's been really, really impressive. So I think that's going to be the key you know, for the Padres. We see Tatis Jr. He's starting at shortstop tonight, um, and he's been playing there a little bit, You know, some switches, some late moves. But I think uh, – they're, they're probably a better team when he's at short, and not because he's their best defensive shortstop, but because everything seems to settle in a little bit better in terms of cohesiveness. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Chris Singleton, ESPN MLB analyst, part of the call tonight for Padres Giants. Um, you know, there's all these teams that are going to end up on the outside looking in that are going to be very close down the stretch. Is there a team that's on the bubble or competing for a wild card right now that if they don't make it in, you'll be disappointed because either they're fun to watch or you're thinking to yourself they really could do some damage. They've been playing well lately. Well, when I, you know, looking at that and, and to start the season, it was without question, right? We all said, okay the National League West is going to have the the two wild cards. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least as the season got going, let's say when we got to June, and the Giants were like, hey, they look for real. Um, we, we initially came in the season expecting Dodgers with the close Padres and then whoever else, perhaps the Giants. That's been flipped. Giants are at the top. But the Padres having the excitement of Tatis, of Machado, of what Musgrove, you know, did earlier, um, Jake Cronenworth, who's kind of a below the radar, like really great player, um, you know, a lot of exciting guys to watch. And then, you know, and all of a sudden, I guess maybe I'm settling in more to the fact that they're probably not, you know, going to make it. And, you know, just in terms of contrast, about three weeks ago, we did a Padres game. And I remember telling, you know, Jace Tingler, the the skipper, I said, hey, whatever it's worth, like, let your guys know that, like, people nationally really like this team. And yeah. we really want to see them in October. And uh, whether that's a spark or not for them. But right. so I, I guess to answer your question, that's what I'm kind of, you know, if, they, if they're not in it, which it doesn't look like they're going to be in it, that's of all the teams, um, that'd probably be the biggest disappointment for me to see. Yeah, there was so much expectation there for the battle, and it just, the fading down the stretch hits again. Hey, Chris, enjoy the call tonight. We'll enjoy listening, and thanks so much for giving us some time. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.